previously on The Show Show. And it's just like, come on. Like, it's the internet. They told us that everything's going to be on there forever, so that's why I don't do stuff, stupid stuff and post on social media. The show is corrupt in a lot of different ways, but not in that way. The Movie Movie, movie Show podcast. I, I See, this is I'm so disconnected. I don't even have TV anymore, so I don't know any of the commercials. I am eternally grateful to The Show Show forever, for a lot of reasons, but particularly because of what we do in the shadows. There are lots of shows, like Drew Carey Show, not even online. You can't even stream it. Like, it, it drives me crazy, some of this shit. We'll start a fantasy football league, and that's if you come in last place. You must watch all Siesta Key. Well, maybe I've just got the conspiracy theories left over from the Mosquito Coast. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. As, as, sorry, if someone was talking. I think I have an echo. Um. Very exaggerated and British. I'm like 95% sure it's Matt Barry. Mayor of Easttown on HBO. I don't really know anything about it. I think as Kate Winslet and she does some sort of detective work. I thought it was going to be the most dangerous job one where you fishing for crabs. Poppy bought our towels. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm horrible at the accent. Maybe don't put that in the recap. You know, it sucks to be you, but you kind of brought this on yourself a little bit. Sounds like we just needed more episodes. Nadia's, you know, constantly bitching about Laszlo's infidelity, but also is, you know, someone who has had like a thousand year affair with with Gregor or 300 year affair with Gregor. Um, and, you know, Nandor is just oh, that very. Was <laughs> Jaysk. 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 Wait, not just as arseholes or whatever. <laughs> the arseholes! The arseholes! There is so much peelage. Is that a lot of times these shows where you have these eternal characters that, that don't change, it, it can get boring. And if you push it too long, then it stops being funny. And it starts being The Office in the last three seasons. Sorry to interrupt if you were going to talk about Guillermo. Matthew Barry, the the great Matthew Barry. He's not in enough stuff. He gives great fantasy football advice, though. Okay. <laughs> uh, I will say, I, I, I personally believe they land the ending, and it's worth it. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Show Show, the number one podcast for people who love TV shows. Life made me a soldier, but I was born to be a chef. This week on The Show Show, the Hulu original series, Future Man. I am one of your hosts. I am Jay Wolf. No, damn it. I got it wrong. I am Corey J. Hart, and I've got my two co-hosts with me, guys. Who are, who I got today? Uh, Aaron Wolfhart, or is it Wolf Aaron Hart, or uh, Corey Wolf? Heart, Aaron. <laughs> See, and we had I'm a whole proud like, Corey Tony Hart. We had a whole pre-show meeting about this, and then I, I go and <laughs> and and do a total future man on it. All right. Well, <laughs> before we get into future men, which I'm very excited to discuss with you two gentlemen, um, I uh, I have a little little news, little theory I want to run by you guys, and that is either one of two things. Number one. Hollywood executives are listening to this podcast and using it to inform their story decisions, or you guys can predict the future. I think it might be a bit of both, but what what do you what does this theory entail? What are you what are you basing it off of? 
two pieces of evidence. Uh, I, I finished Future Men about about a week ago, and in the in the time since, I've been watching some other stuff. Uh, and the t- two of the shows I've been watching are What We Do in the Shadows and Succession. Both of those, uh, you know, watching follow up seasons to ones that we have covered previously. And unless I'm, I've got my uh, timeline all wrong, I think the very last episode we did before this was What We Do in the Shadows, right? Yes, I believe so. Yes. So during that episode, I believe I, I, you know, I can't remember exactly who it was now. I think it was Tony. Uh, but you guys were talking about how one of the things that you wanted from the show and wanted from a subsequent season would be more information on Colin Robinson's backstory. And if anybody's been watching season three of uh, What We Do in the Shadows, I'm only about three or four episodes in, but that has definitely been uh, something that they're raising. They haven't uh, revealed anything yet, but it sounds like they heard you and they're giving you what you want. Uh, Now for Succession, uh, a little bit different, but still kind of along the same lines. Uh, If I remember right, uh, two of the big criticisms that that you guys had of the show was that, uh, number one, it was a lot about Kendall, and you just didn't like Kendall. And I can't remember the second one was. Let's just go with that. my first point. Uh, so with Succession, season one was very much Kendall's story. Season two, on the other hand, a lot more about Shiv with Kendall more in the background. So for better or worse, I think Holly was listening to us. Well, the question is, though, did they make anyone likable in Succession, or is it all still terrible people? You know what? Thank you, Aaron. You reminded me of my second point. My second point uh, was that there was no comeuppance. Uh, There were no chickens coming home to roost. And in season two of Succession, there's definitely a lot more roosting chickens. Good. They deserve it. Yeah. So... Uh, Hollywood, thank you for listening to us. Today, we will be telling you all about a show that has already finished. That is right. It's a personal favorite of mine, Future Man, Hulu original, originally aired in 2017. And uh, I don't I don't specifically remember it like like ending. I just remember watching it all the way through. So uh, I guess that it's I watched the first season, forgot about it, came back and watched the second two seasons like at the beginning of the pandemic. So the third season came out in April of 2020. So it must have been around then. Mm -hmm. But my God, so so many great performances, so many great like moments, lines, quotes. Uh, I, I love this show. Tony, was this a show that you were aware of before the show show or what's your experience with it? I was aware. I feel like when it was, I don't know, in production or just initially come out, it came out. I remember like hearing about Josh Hutcherson having this show and I remember him being like really proud of it and excited about it, but I literally never watched it. And I don't remember like ever hearing anything about it really, it really was, I think, to Aaron's premise, just like a show that flew under the radar or was underrated, I think was the term. So I knew of it that it existed, but, and like I knew who was in it, but I did not know anything about it or I had not seen it either. And am I imagining this or was this one of the first like really big Hulu original shows? I, I think it was like, <clears throat> I think that it, it, it suffered from the kind of the domino effect. Like, I think at the time, 2017, Netflix was, like, having a new show come out, like, every two months, you know? And so we're, like, cycling through these new shows constantly, and Hulu is, like, this is, like, our original show. This is, like, one of our first ones. Um, 
and and they did it, but then I think like right after they had another one and another one and another one. So I think it just kind of got lost obscurity. Like think about like the stuff on Apple TV, like the stuff that launched it. How quick is that stuff going to kind of like disappear into obscurity as more and more stuff accumulates, right? No, oh yeah. About the well, I think we've launched the Mosquito Coast into obscurity with <laughs> our own efforts. It's true. <laughs> We're going to create the cult following. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think this was a launch kind of of their original stuff. I remember being kind of apprehensive and and having very low expectations, especially for, like, production value. Because up until that point, Hulu was just this vehicle for the major networks to to stream their programming. So it was where you went to go watch NCIS if you knew how to work a computer, which if you did, you're, you're not watching NCIS. Uh, but, you know, you see Hulu original, I, I had very low expectations, but I, I remember that uh, Aaron and I, we actually watched the first couple episodes uh, of this together when they first came out. And I remember just being blown away, especially by, the, by those first couple of episodes when we're immediately thrown into the time travel. We're immediately thrown into this ridiculous premise of having to stop Keith David from getting gone. What is what was it? Herpes? herpes. Yeah, herpes. Yes, it's it's called herpes simplex, but it's far from simple. Uh, <laughs> well, do we need to? Well, I guess it's hard. We did all three seasons, but do we need to? do a summary for the audience or just go into discussions or we're going to break it down by season one and then season one summary and then talk about season one, season two summary continued or I think it'd be worth breaking it down by seasons. What do you think, Jay? I agree. So, okay. If we're, if we're looking at season one, like essentially the plot of season one is that Josh Futterman, who is played by, what is his name? I can't remember this guy's name. Josh Hutterson. Yeah. Peter Malark. From from uh The Hunger Games, yeah. Yeah. Peter. Um he's basically a janitor who works at a uh laboratory that is trying to create a cure for herpes and he is obsessed with a video game that no one really cares about anymore be- because no one can beat it. Um he finally beats it which causes two warriors from the future to travel back in time to recruit him to help them destroy his boss um who is creating a essentially a vaccine or a cure that's going to cause the human race to uh quote unquote evolve into uh biotics which are bad guys but it's essentially what we're led to believe um and so they go back in time to the 60s to the night that uh, the boss um, gets herpes at a uh, was it the night of the moon landing on at a, a dorm party. Uh, shenanigans ensue. Um, they end up interfering and preventing him from getting herpes. Go back to the future. End up causing a bunch of ripples, um, such as leaving a, a iPhone uh, back in 1969 and and causing Apple to become Blapple instead. Um, amazing. Which, amazing. So good. Um, and. <laughs> kind of like it accelerated things in, in a way like it seemed like they made things worse so they end up trying to to blow up the tower my gosh it's been a while since i watched the first season right the next thing they do is they, they try and blow up the tower which there was some moral quandaries over that um oh yeah he goes back in time again to try and seduce him and convince him to go off with his gay lover i, I forgot about that part of the 
first season. Right. Yeah, that, that's when they, they go to go to the 80s and Wolf decides and then, that the 80s are the best time in the history of time and decides to stay. Oh, gosh, that dog. I feel so bad for that dog. <laughs> oh, no. Basically, so, yeah, the Warriors. Tiger goes to the 50s back to whenever it was Elias Cronish is born. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically you kind of have them separated out for a little while that basically uh, was it? Wolf gets super coked out, becomes this uh, underground chef sensation, um, has to get saved by uh, a Tiger, who comes in and brings him back to the present, and they end up having to try and blow up the Chronatorium, <laughs> which they've now caused to happen, um, which is a giant facility, which it was just like a normal building. Now it's like a super, like, security max facility. But long story short, they end up uh, convincing Cronish to... Uh, inject himself with a bunch of viruses and kill himself so that all of his you know knowledge dissipates. Um, they blow up the facility. Uh, Wolf and Tiger go back to the future, and Josh gets arrested for basically killing everybody inside of the building. He's and he's known as the Cronish Farmer. That's kind of how season one ends with him being in jail, caught by the police officer that they inadvertently killed his partner back in 1969, and he'd been chasing him <laughs> the whole time. Um, while his uh, partner's wife's belly was swollen with child. Swollen with child. The widow Santiago. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of how season one ends. And then Josh gets uh, like there's a lightning at the very, very, very last scene showing that time travel is happening again. And then it closes out. And so that's kind of like a synopsis of season one. There's so many moments in this. I forgot like like all the ridiculous moments, the cronish balls and, and the shit storm. Um, you know, well, yeah, mainly it's because the Warriors, Tiger and Wolf, they want to just straight up, maybe even horrifically murder Elias Cronish. And mostly antics is because Josh does not want to resort to just brutal violence. He wants to find another way. He's and, a normal yeah, that, dude. As you mentioned, it make they end up just making everything worse. Uh, yeah, a central tension of season one is that. Uh, Tiger, the kind of uh, the, the female warrior from the future, who's kind of the leader of the group, she keeps arguing for we have a very simple solution here: just kill him as a baby. You know, we we need to to kill him before he creates his research. Easiest thing to do is kill him when he's a baby. And Josh keeps arguing for no. You know, that's not an ethical thing to do. We we need to do this right way. But all of their efforts, of course, uh, cause the problem just to to get worse and spiral out of control. Now, for me, biggest laugh of season one was when Tiger went to the 50s and was, you know, standing over the crib of baby Elias Cronish and it smash cuts to one year later and she's been <laughs> she's been his nanny the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like kill him tomorrow. Yeah. For like for however many years. How, how old is he when she leaves? He's like a young child, I think. Or is he still like a toddler? He's a toddler. Mm-hmm. I see. It, it, I think that that Tiger's evolution as a character throughout the entire series is one of the most, like one of the best parts of the show. Like each character has their own flavor and flair and an addition to this show, but but her evolution as a character is 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 great, and, and it just kind of like you know hard seasoned, you know soldier. Um, uh, to her entire like existential struggle in the second season, it's it's so good. You know, the show does a really good job of kind of uh, 
I don't know if they use it as a get out of jail free card, but they tend to call attention to their own kind of like uh, plot holes or like I'm guessing they just had a lot of fan theory response. They seem to call themselves out on. Oh, we could have just done this or whatever, but I guess part of that on this, like why the whole premise is like they the future created that video game that was impossible to beat to find the greatest warrior to lead them to victory, which is uh, Josh is the one that beats it. That's what kind of starts it all. But why they know who the Elias Cronish is and their plan after that is to go kill him as a baby. So I don't understand the whole middle, the middleman part, honestly. I guess that's one criticism I would have. Why not just go back to when he was a baby? Why even have the whole... I guess the whole like, thing for the show. In the first place? Yeah. Like, why, why bother with Josh? Yeah, they already know who it is. They can trace his life back in history. They can just go kill him at any point. Or even, like, just go... Like, they go back to Josh. He hasn't created the cure yet. They could go back without Josh to the same time and kill him then, you know, without him. I'm I'm reaching here, but I th- I think what I would I would say is that if you go back to the very first episode, uh, Tiger and Wolf, they all they have is the name Elias Cronish. They don't have any more information, and I guess I would I would say that in this future that they're from, where they live every single day fighting for their lives, they don't have the resources or the wherewithal to get that information of where to go, when to go. It's just a it's it's a coincidence that Josh, the person who beats the game, also happens to be familiar with Cronish. Well, I think I think kind of part of the point is also maybe that if you send something back in time and track down someone who is a great warrior, then they should be able to track down Cronish in their time and kill him. Right. So like that to me, at least I thought that was the premise. The okay, baby, yeah. I think, feel like is was like they like whenever they find out about what babies are. Because remember, like whenever she sees like the baby for the first time in the seventies or nineteen sixty nine, she's like, "What is that tiny human being?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "It's a baby. You've never <laughs> seen a baby." And so I, I think that when they were coming back, they were coming back to kill Cronish, and they were trying to get him, and and then he came up with the idea to travel back to nineteen sixty nine. Right? No, no, they mm-hmm. did. No, no, no. Like they knew a time and a date that something happened. I think they they knew to go to sixty nine because that's whenever he he got herpes. He he found out about it at the the same day, like before they showed up. Whenever he befriended Cronish, Mm -hmm. and Cronish told him how he got herpes the night of the moon landing. They didn't know what night. They just knew nineteen sixty nine. Yeah. Like we gotta go, we got a sixty nine right now. <laughs> yeah, I remember that joke. It was so good. So well, I think that that's what I'm saying is like they knew something in sixty nine. So why not just they could have just gone back. I mean, given I don't I don't want to get too hung up on it, but they could have just gone to any number of years before nineteen sixty nine and given them as much time as they needed for themselves to find before that happened. But well, I think also just as 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 kind of time travel is explained in the show later on, I don't think that they fully grasp or appreciate time travel. They are sewer dwellers, uneducated, you know, like, you know, what is whenever whenever Wolf has a pickle for the first time, he starts shouting for more of the tiny logs. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I would also say that they're they're, you know, Ability to create the plan was pretty limited, you know. Like they all ran yeah. through the tunnel and everyone died. <laughs> I will say, 
uh, season one, I think, is my favorite of the seasons, I think. That's, that's fair. It's a great season, a great story. It could have ended right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I do think season two, I actually was super impressed with season two because season two went in a whole lot of different directions I was not expecting. Um, I will say this was my third time watching this series because um, I'd watched it once, then I watched it with Christy, then I watched it with you guys. And, and I will say that there were some moments that the third time through I felt a little sloggy. But um, thinking back to the first time watching it, I, I still thoroughly enjoyed but oh my god, season two, all of these little like cuts and uh like satirical references to pop culture and things like that, like the growing pains intro and 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 uh, law and order, like those were fantastic. <laughs> I did write that down. Uh well I, I mean I guess we're still in season one, but yeah, this show felt like a pop culture like scavenger hunt. And I I love that part of it basically. Now, I I generally like to go on IMDb and read the, the trivia section about shows I watch. And in this one, under uh, the, oh crap, what do they call the part at the end? Spoil, on the spoiler section, uh, one, of, one of the items said something about that there's numerous references to Terminator throughout this show. And I'll admit, I've actually never seen any of the Terminator movies. What? Uh, so I, I gotta admit, any Terminator references here were lost on me and i still enjoyed this this show to the nines oh yeah i i don't remember specifically outside of just like a few small references to terminator but uh it the, there were like like uh, tony said there were so many pop culture references just oh. jam-packed in i i felt like it was a a really weird sci-fi satire slash like pop culture reference because they jammed in so much and there was a lot of like jokes about like time travel, sci-fi, you know, things like that that most serious sci-fi would probably not go into. Mm-hmm. So, um, is no, I like, guess, I, sorry, go ahead. I I I knew I liked the show, but really straight off the bat because it was very funny from the beginning. But I knew I loved this show. Uh, when we got to the James Cameron episode where they spend the whole episode in James Cameron's house in the future. And it's just chock full of references to Titanic and the abyss and aliens. Avatar. Avatar. Speaking of Avatar, like, did you know that they're, they're making like four more Avatar movies? Like the next one's coming out next year. I I feel like Avatar is one of the great failures of our times. With regards to capitalizing on something, like it was such a big movie when it came out. Like these these movies are coming out like five, six, seven years too late, in my opinion. Like I don't care about Avatar anymore. This is completely unrelated, but I read that the reason why it's taken so long is that up until this point, they did not have the technology to do motion capture underwater. And for whatever reason, James Cameron believes that it is fundamentally necessary for him to film this movie with underwater motion capture. So they've had to work on making that technology work. Well, I mean, how else is he going to find Cameroonian if he doesn't have his underwater (laughs) technology? Very, very good point. No, that was a great episode. Fantastic. 
Like very, very funny out of nowhere too. Like, like all the, the, the way they wove that entire story together, I thought was great. Absolutely. Uh, Another bit. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think the show. Yeah, it's definitely one of the funniest shows I've seen in a long time. I think even. I think consistently more funny than what we do in the shadows. And I thought that was a really funny show, but it might've just been more my type of, this would be a show that like a very specific person, would I recommend this show to like, I've been recommending it out, but I think it's, there's pretty, not a narrow, but there's a very focused group that I think would love this show. So, someone who can handle a, a prosthetic penis or two. I was also going to say that there's like, the penis jokes never failed to make me laugh. And I don't know if it's just like my own immaturity. Like it's almost like a fart joke, but I just I cracked up every time. And I think one of some of the biggest ones were like, yeah, related to the switching of the penises. <laughs> See, some of the shows that I end up liking the most are the ones that win me over that I might start from a negative place, but then they pull me in. And the dick switching joke is one of those where at first I was like, this is juvenile. You know, I kind of rolled my eyes, but <laughs> every time it came back, it worked. It worked. It was the, the shower scene with Jush. Or, you know, in, in season two, that's how <laughs> Wolf's uh, clan recognizes that he's not the real wolf. Or <laughs> torque. <laughs> oh, my God. I think I literally did laugh out loud. Like, season three. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get too far ahead since we're still in season one, but like uh, there's a certain character trying to bribe Wolf and he's trying to bribe him by giving him his penis back. And like that whole 30 second window just like had me laughing so loud. I was in the middle of an airport. And I was like chuckling to myself. I'm sure people were starting to look at me funny. Well, one last thing on, on uh, season one for me. Ed Bagley Jr. Anytime I see Ed Bagley Jr., love him. Uh, mm-hmm. Wish wish we could have seen him in season two and three, but I'll I'll take all that I can get. He was he was he was excellent in it, like just just phenomenal. So is the mom. The the mom did a great job. Uh, she's in Sergeant Bilko. That's what I remember her from. Yeah, apparently she passed away in between filming and when the show was released. So I think season one was dedicated to her memory. I didn't know that. That's sad. I mean, what a show to have dedicated to your memory, but, you know. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. June 2017. Oh. Well, do, do we want to move on to season two? I, no, she was married to John Malkovich. Oh, wow. In 1982 to 88. So not recent, but. Oh. Did not know that. Wow. Sorry. Back you know to what's season, not season ironic, two. but uh, different is like, yeah, we've been discussing like there is full frontal male nudity and obviously a ton of prosthetic penises mostly in season one, I think, but uh, there's not really, I guess it's kind of good. There's like not a lot of female hypersexualization, like a lot of female. I think I just was reminded of the mother in the past. Uh, when they go back in the past and run to the mother there, I feel like that's the only female nudity that I remember seeing in the whole show is I think she goes topless for a little I bit. I think that there is one other sequence, maybe when they're charging up, where there might be like a nip slip type thing because I feel like Christy pointed it out, but yeah, I, I think <laughs> it's not like good on you, Christy. Thrones. Yeah, it's just kind of cool. I, I don't like seeing it's when when it's to- in my face, but it's I guess when it's probably nice if you're a female and uh, it's not a bunch of tits and ass everywhere. 
It's when Torque and, and what's her name? Not Artemis. Athena. Was it what was what was her code name in season two? Achilles. Achilles. Yeah. Uh, it was when they were having sex in, in his in Stu's brain. Okay. <laughs> oh man. What a show. So season two. Who was in the synopsis of season two? <laughs> I, I can take this one. Uh, right. So season two, in contrast to season one, uh, if I remember right, we actually spend the entire season in one time frame uh, rather than jumping around, uh, which from straight off the bat re- really impressed me. Uh, but in season two, they're in, I, I don't remember exactly what, what year it is, but it's basically the near future. And in, in this near future, uh, society has basically been divided into the biotechs who have are basically equivalent to the biotics, uh, but a little bit more humanized. They're the ones who have taken the vaccine, the super cure. And then we've got the the people who live basically below grounds, uh, who, who are shunned and such. And uh, we spend the we spend the season kind of on on both sides of this divide, uh, particularly interacting with Haley Joel Osment who is now a sentient computer program. He's uploaded his consciousness. Uh, So for more on that, uh, go back and listen to our previous episode on the Amazon show Upload. That was a real doozy. Uh, But uh, I'm losing the thread on exactly what happened in season two, if somebody can help me out. Big difference between season one and season two. The biotics... We're forcing the vaccine on the resistance, which is the whole point of the biotic wars, is that Wolf and Tiger were fighting against being vaccinated with the super cure and becoming biotics. In this new future where they blew up Cronish's facility, which they returned back to the year they were from. So that's where they I don't remember what year they came from, but this was this is back in that same time frame. Um the opposite had happened. There wasn't enough cure, and it was withheld from the majority of people. And there was a war over withholding the vaccine. And and then once there was enough vaccine for everyone, they didn't trust the technology and the biotics or biotechs anymore. So there there became the new divide between the descendants of those who took the vaccine and those who didn't. Which I thought was really funny, just kind of like as a cultural commentary, kind of flipping the script on that. Um, uh, was was pretty impressive, but yeah. So Torque, or not Torque, sorry, Wolf, um, gets uh, brought in or taken in by the uh people who are living in the Nag, the new above ground, which is just a big heaping pile of garbage, basically. And um, Tiger gets taken in to the biotechs, the what was it, the Mons, which was basically mm-hmm. a a training facility because Earth. It was deteriorating due to climate uh, or global warming, climate change. And so Haley Joel Osment was preparing all the, the um, biotechs to travel to Mars, uh, quote unquote, asterisk, um, uh, <laughs> because basically life was not going to be sustainable on Earth anymore. Um, and that was kind of like the premise of what was going on or the, the setting. Uh, while that's going on, Josh has been kidnapped and brought to the future by... Um, a, a splinter cell of biotechs who are trying to overthrow Haley Joel Osment's character, Stu. 
uh, <laughs> uh, because he is kind of he's really kind of like a a um, AI cyborg uh, emperor god, um, and and they've recognized this and they think they need to destroy him. Um, and it's being led by the tiger of that time. Um, because in this time travel, when you travel, you kind of create a branch in the timeline, right? Like that's kind of the whole premise is, is, is they return to their future, but their future didn't exist anymore. It had a new branch had been created. So that's why there was a torque and Achilles in that timeline that they teleported to. Right. Um, which doesn't again getting back to the holes. Why does Josh comes to that specific future then afterwards? Um, but regardless, <sighs> or like every time the wolf left them or anything like that. Speaking of the vaccine, like wow, it's just like I remember watching during season one, which is yeah, that was their resistance. Was <laughs> there's this cure all vaccine and these people don't want to take it. And it's just like it felt like prophetic almost because like, it came out in what 2017 i was just like well i guess we except for the horrible things they do we never really find out if the bio the first season's biotics uh if they were actually evil or if the resistance was or if they were responding to the resistance like being terrorists basically like i don't yeah, it was that's kind of never, that's never really answered like we're we're left kind of just suspecting that like whenever what was her name the girl in season one that josh like had the crush on who was a biotic like yeah. like she basically is like you know we're just normal human beings that took this vaccine so we don't get sick they're terrorists that blow up hospitals uh, true <laughs> Uh, but I, I guess so, something for me that is a clue, I think, that the biotics are still uh, sinister is the whole they have a bomb in their heads that they can that, that they blow up when they don't want to be taken in. You know, like what what kind of a free democratic society or whatever well, is puts that, a bomb in your head? Is that only in time travel to avoid fucking up the timeline? Or was that all biotics? I don't know. I can't remember. But like I, I, I genuinely thought that that was because they were going back in time to chase them. Now he had a gobulator, so they didn't do a whole lot of time travel before that. So why would you have that? It's a good point. Gobulator. <laughs> I use that word in a proper sentence. I'm very proud of you. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to derail things. I just thought it was like, wow, it's so. Like they would have purposefully made the plot line like that if it was made in 2020. It does feel like the world Well I mean anti-vaxxers exist in 2017 Because I remember arguing with him in the internet So that that is not outside of already What was happening in our pop culture It's just that everything turned up to 11 And and the pandemic era It it did make it a little uncomfortable at times And a little difficult to sympathize With Tiger and Wolf uh, Just you know sitting here in 2021 In the situation that we're in uh, but you, you can't blame the show or the writers for that. Not at all. No, and, and again, when they flip it, and and Tiger finds out she was a biotic the whole time, and she ends mm-hmm. up being the cause of the future biotechs because Stu preserves a piece of her hair. Um, right. You know that kind of creates her. That starts her existential crisis and her identity crisis in season two, and trying to figure out who she is. Um, God, um, Tyann, that was the daughter's name. Oh god, that voice. That grating voice. That was, was the worst. That was difficult. Yeah. 
I think yeah. the first, I really fell into like a lull. I think season one, the, not the premise of Wolf being the super chef, like celebrity thing, but I feel like that dragged on a little bit. Like it was focused too long on that. And then the first part of season two, I was just like, I was really lost from the magic of season one, but then, yeah, not long after the very first part of season two, it brought me back in in a big way as far as like quality and laughter. I think when, when they, when we get like, I think like three episodes in Josh is, is in the nag. <laughs> oh God. Josh's initiation into the nag and, and Torque's or Wolf's rise to the top, to the, to the leader of the nag. I thought those were pretty great. Um, the 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 whole was uh, there was one joke that I thought was so funny when they were like walking whenever one of the uh, the people from his family pod were walking around with the town with him, and they were like, yeah, we used to think that, um, I think was it eight was the perfect number of of parental units, but yeah. we were crazy. We we dropped it to seven, and everything has been fine since then. <laughs> What do you, so what do you think of the nag? Do you think that that's how things would, would turn out in, in a collapsed society? Uh, probably with, with the exception of their really idiotic economic system of having everything cost one shit. I, yeah. I think, you know, maybe I just believe in uh, the inherent nature of capitalism too much. I think that human beings wouldn't actually do that. Uh, but otherwise, you know, just like this, these people living in filth on top of filth and just heaping filth on each other. Yeah, kind of. What do you think about Stu's solution to save humanity by basically <laughs> uh, Amazon's upload series? I'm pretty sure Amazon just ripped their entire premise out of the season two of the show. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> if he was pure, it, it would be a a good answer, I guess. I like the joke. Like, this is his final answer. <laughs> Oh, final. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. To me, I was I asked that question. I was like, well, if the world is kind of coming to an end, what do you do? I mean, if it's death or uploads, I think I'd choose upload, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think that in that situation, like what what, what else do you have to lose? You're going to die either way type type thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, then also the, the killer robots. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, the people not believing. They, did that did that make anyone else cringe whenever he's like, he's got giant killer robots, and he's like, yeah, right. You know, like not <laughs> believing him. And it's just like, God. I thought the, the naming conventions in that season was really funny, how each faction, you know, the was it the the pointed circle? They were all named after like religious figures, and then down in the nag, it was all like kind of like tools and mechanical things so meta analysis and i don't even know if they know this joke but so josh gets what's what's josh's code name in the pointed circle wasn't he jesus it's jesus right yeah Uh, so jesus is the english translation of the transliteration iosis which is the greek transliteration of yeshua which is the jewish or hebrew word for joshua so the word named jesus is, is a mistranslation of the name joshua in hebrew 
short form to Josh and translated all the way into English through three languages. And I just thought that was really interesting that his name is Josh and he gets the name Jesus because that's really what Jesus means in Hebrew. You know, it, it wouldn't put I wouldn't put it past them that 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 was intentional. I think that this is a a very smart show that like tricks you with some dumb humor at times. I, I would yeah. agree with that. It has phenomenal writing. Mm-hmm. Like there's actually some. If it wasn't always kind of so lighthearted in uh, comedic in nature, there was actually some really profound and like kind of loving quotes. Like I think Wolf slash Torque in season two has a really nice goodbye to his daughter Lugnut. And I was like, oh, this is actually like a really sweet, well-written scene kind of in the middle of a mostly silly show. But I feel like there's a lot of when they were serious, I feel like it was just as well-written as when it was comedic. No, a hundred percent agree. And the, uh, actually what, what the, the example you gave about Wolf, uh, I actually had that in mind myself when I was watching the show, like watching him grow to become a parent in, in, in that season when, you know, prior he was just, uh, he was just the bomb guy. Then he was the chef guy. Uh, but you know, watching him grow to love that child really uh, kind of made me start to think about what great performances these actors were giving. Well, I also thought that what was interesting is how the different people reacted to the different scenarios. Like Wolf could literally adapt to anything. His ability to survive in any timeline in any scenario was amazing, right? Whereas Josh, you know. <laughs> Has, had, had quite a few problems throughout the entire thing. Um, you know, Tiger, like, gets bored, you know, and, and wants to, to you know, figure out something to do. He gets tired something with to murder. <laughs> something to murder, yeah. she. I think she was too, too conditioned in fighting. But um, I, I don't know. Season two, they go into a lot of individual character development when they're separated. They do a lot of of what I, I just consider great social commentary and you know sci-fi satire references. You know, I, I I couldn't stop singing the Growing Pains intro for like a week after that episode. <laughs> uh, but well, when they're brushing their teeth and they're like going down the line, brush each like each one brushing their teeth with the same toothbrush, like on the wall and like. Oh God, so funny! But I, I do feel that that season, even though it does trudge, and I agree with Tony, like there's just some moments where it's just kind of like, all right, like this is this feels a bit trudgy. Um, but there's so much character development in that season that I feel really builds us into season three and makes season three's payout really top notch. Um, so I, I don't know about y'all, but that's at least how I feel. Now, I guess season season two ends with essentially the three of them getting back together, realizing that Stu's terrible and is basically going to kill everyone and upload their consciousness and rule them with an iron digital fist, and that the nag is going to invade the the Mons at the same time. So they're going to try and stop that. And their their initial plan, right, was to have Josh eat some peanuts. So that he gets all like allergic reaction so that the facial recognition software wouldn't see him. And because Stu had a glitch in his code, um, which he because he was afraid of Josh, if Josh uploaded himself and sacrificed himself, 
then it would kill Stu saving humanity, basically. Um, but then that they, they end up was it not doing that um, and trying to what was it? I can't remember exactly what happened, but I remember they go back in time again. Josh or Juice. Uh, he's arguing with uh, <laughs> the other guy with the J name, J1, the other J1, like the black kid that's supposed to be the first kid oh, on Mars. Oh, 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 the kid. And, oh. and because he's arguing with him, Stu notices him, and he realizes mm-hmm. this is Josh. And then he's like, <laughs> why? What is going on? And he self-diagnoses that Josh is his glitch. And then that's shuts right. down to patch himself, like basically remove the last shred of humanity. Like delete his humanity so that he'll be patched. Uh, and get fix it uh, so they can't use that option to stop him anymore or i guess they fail basically they have to they have to run away because he patches himself and uh, starts killing everybody with yeah. the ro- robots yeah so they then decide to go back in time convince achilles to help them and this time they were going to run and use the the time machine to jump during the time that he's patching himself and and keep on jumping over and over again during that eight second window until they got to where Stu's mainframe was and destroy the physical like Stu fleshy cyborg computer machine, the starfish um, looking starfish <laughs> thing, um, and then that would kill Stu. So they do that, which inevitably kill creates like hundreds of copies of Josh Tiger and Wolf. Um, in the process, because every time they jump, like they're jumping in back into a timeline where they exist, and each one of them are jumping back. I oh, goddamn that that scene was so great. Like that whole sequence, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Arguing with themselves and later down the line, <laughs> yeah, futile. They're yes, like, wait, and- we don't matter, so we can leave, right? It's like, well, unless the other first people in front of us don't make it, and then <laughs> amazing. The reason they had to do that is because their time machine only alters time and not space. So the ground they had to cover in 11 seconds was too far. So that's why they had to, every time they got close to that 11 seconds, they had to jump back in time, but they're closer to the core. But yeah, it was just a, that was an awesome segment. And I feel like a really clever idea by Josh for once in the series. Well, a clever idea that I also think kind of sets us up for season three and all the ridiculous zany things that happen there. Um, but so they get there, they kill Stu, they they essentially save the day. Um, but then, like, future cops show up, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and arrest them mm-hmm. and, and bring them into like these these cells. Which, which is like a dark room, and they're being interrogated by none other than Seth Rogen, who is playing a character named Susan, which in the future is a boy's name, yes. Um, but it's, a, it's a boy's name in the present, Aaron. You don't, you don't know, you know. Actually, I looked this up, and and there was actually like a period of time in the 1800s where there were like two to three hundred boys named Susan um, recorded in the U.S. Census. Well, didn't Johnny Cash write a song about it? That's what I, I looked it up. Like I was trying to say, is it is it actually about a a real person or is this just a fictitious story? And and there was an uptick around the time that that was written, but actually in eighteen hundreds there was like a chunk of dudes named Sue. Like weird. Wow. I guess maybe they could be middle names or maiden names or some shit like that from their mothers. Yeah, I think there's just a yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, I just think there's just a lot of names that I think jump back and forth, kind of. Like demonstrating how 
reserving one name for one of the others is just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, later on when, when Seth Rogen's character says, his name is Josh. Yes, in his time, that's a boy's name. <laughs> and his daughter's name is like Randall or something. Uh, I was going to say, it makes it hard to separate because it is still season two when they are captured by time cops. I feel like there may be even one more episode in the prison, but that's also where season three starts. So in my head, it's almost like I don't so, so it know ends, where one stops. Ends. Three ends when they refuse to um, turn each other in or take each other right. out. And and so because they all refuse or like turn, basically they're going to take themselves out instead. Um, Seth Rogen basically is like, you guys, you know, you called my bluff, and that way you're going to be great contestants on, you know, Decathlon, which is like a TV death sentence, like because they're time criminals, they've been sentenced to <laughs> to be put to death through a television show that's basically like what I could take a, as like a Wipeout slash American Gladiator slash like um, I don't know, like Death Arena. <laughs> Most extreme challenge. Yeah, a most extreme elimination challenge. <laughs> and that's where season two ends, is right there. Uh, R.I.P. Spike TV. You were good to us back in the day. I know. It was probably horribly racist, I'm sure, because I know they did fake Asian accents. Oh, yeah, that's true. But it was no. funny. Well, that was back whenever you could have, like, was it Dr. Pepper 10? Uh, for Dr. Pepper marketed for dudes? Yeah. <laughs> That's not for that's not for women. Yeah, it was dumb. That was dumb. Such a dumb time period. Anyways, um, so that that's how season two ends. I, I I think that season two is a is great. It's phenomenal. It's fantastic. I just feel like it does kind of trudge on at times. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think season two for me is the best one uh, because of the the character development that you mentioned. I think really kind of elevates it above a little bit the others but something that this show does so successfully for me is that it it puts a fresh spin on time travel uh, because I'm I'm a big fan of time travel stories in general some of my favorite star trek episodes and and what have you are the time travel ones and it's it, time travel stories are very easily picked apart so it's kind of like to me it's kind of like a magic show where Going in, I know that it's it's not going to all hold together if you if you really start thinking about it all unravels. But in the moment, if you can if you can sell me, I'm still going to enjoy it to the nines to being tricked in that way. And that's kind of how, how I felt about the show is that, uh, you know, they they told a time travel story in a new in interesting way that made me just kind of throw away those well why couldn't they have just jumped back a little bit sooner i didn't care i was having so much fun watching this show that it, it just didn't matter to me the journey was worth it like it, yeah. it was fun along the way i completely agree and um, then that, like that whole sequence with the the jumping eight seconds each time uh you know i've, I've never seen that done before and i thought the way they did it just they nailed it I thought I thought it was interesting that in a weird way, like each variant of Josh that was created almost felt like a uh, multiplicity, like like had a slightly different variant to his personality. If that made any sense, like we have like Jot J one, but like even like whenever he's dealing with like the J twenty eight, who's like been clearly tortured, you know, like. <laughs> Did, is he the same Josh, or is there a slight change due to the time travel? 
You know what I mean? Like it's an infinite universe where each each one is like a parallel with a slight change, or is it just like spit and image identical? I don't know. I feel like J1 or our Josh that we actually follow in the show was like the best version of himself. Are like you, all the other traps that the other Joshes fell into, like the God complex. Like, I mean, he had it, but I don't think he had it as much. And like, I feel like he accepted and tried to grow where like none of the other, none of these other like throwaway Joshes did. Well, except for, except for one who decided to try and convince Bin Laden to not do bad things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, can can we can we talk about season three so we can talk about time travel been love? <laughs> so yeah, so so that's the end of season two. So season three is is the season of the Dicathlon, um, where where Josh Tiger and Wolf are competing um in a, a very dangerous competition. We don't actually see what happens because every time it starts, Josh immediately gets impaled with some type of object. Um, and is taken out of the game, and then we see him like recovering in some type of giant vat of goo. Um, and while he's in the goo, he starts hearing a voice kind of talking to him. Um, and he can't decide if he's going crazy or if he's having a religious experience. But um, as as each each time that they participate in the decathlon, um, Susan, played by Seth Rogen, is wiping Tiger and Wolf's memory. So it's like the first time each time, whereas Josh remembers everything that has happened all the way up, all the way through. Um, slowly, the voice uh, earns Josh's respect, or I guess trust, can teaches him how to escape from the decathlon, and um, he basically breaks him, Wolf and Tiger and himself out of the decathlon. And I think, do they escape first to... Um, was it medieval times? I, I think it was like uh, colonial Quebec, right? No, that was towards the end. That was towards the end. I remember they go like, to France. It's like old France or something. It was like like, like, like a monastery, right? Because they have the, they yeah. make a sandwich or something, and that's yeah, how they, they make find a sandwich. It. And then they go to Japan. Oh yeah, <laughs> and 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 Wolf kills like a famous samurai in the entire line bloodline of Japanese like like warriors is erased. Um, and then they end up in in Russia. And I love that sequence whenever they they end up there. And Josh is like, I, I'm not quite sure when we are, but I know we're in Kansas. And then the text pops up on the screen, like, you know, Russia, World War One. Yeah. <laughs> I laugh so hard at that sequence. <laughs> And then the whole storyline about Wolf seducing the peasant woman. Yeah, so that, that whole, like I said, ad- adaptation. Wolf, again, adapting to his surroundings. He didn't want to sleep on the straw, so he needed that bed. Ended up creating an entire, like, genre of Russian <laughs> literature. Uh-huh. So anyway, they, they, they constantly... Um, Send signals through time to the time police that they're, you know, doing something that like creating sandwiches or, you know, inspiring the sex novel that's causing them to, to get them, uh, the police to, or the time police to be chasing them. And they send this like, like Spartan crew after them, which is like these like cyborg Spartan soldiers. It's such a ridiculous, like, I guess that's probably the, 
the Terminator reference that they were, were talking about to, to hunt them down. And they end up escaping to, like you said, colonial Quebec, like in the 1600s, right? Or 1500s. Um, and at this place, this is actually where uh, the outlaw Wild Sam Bladden, or, or uh, <laughs> some <laughs> hiding uh, or, or stranded, and he's trying to beckon Josh to come visit him. He's the voice um, in Josh's ear. And while they're in... <laughs> Quebec, Josh ends up stepping in a, a bear trap, um, causing serious damage to his leg. Uh, and he's basically bedridden for a couple of episodes while his leg festers. And while Wolf basically sets up an international treaty and um, Tiger becomes a master trapper and hunter. Um, eventually, Josh wakes his way to Bin Laden, discovering that that's who God was in his ear the whole time. Um, has to kind of reckon with the fact that his uh, alternate self, Nutface Josh, had had befriended Bin Laden. Um, oh man, and- that that whole sequence of oh man, Osama Bin Laden manipulated you by making you think you were part of a broader spiritual plan than you were. Oh man, he's never done that before. He's never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> When Seth Rogen is like, yeah, time traveling been locked. That's on you, man. <laughs> is there another show that has ever been made that would have the balls to have time travel been Laden? No. Like, you know, manipulating one of our, our, our lead characters. I mean, who else would go there? No, that's what I'm saying. That's what that's the, when that happened, that's when I was like, this show is brilliant. Like <laughs> And, and the fact that I didn't catch Outlaw Wild Sam Laden was Osama bin Laden until like that moment. Oh, like yeah. there, was a, there was enough foreshadowing that you should catch it. But like whenever he walked in and it, he realized who it is, I was like my jaw was on the floor. <laughs> Did anyone else catch was, it before then? Not before. No. I mean, I don't think before I, I remember just losing it talking about Wild Sam Bladden and how he had destroyed the previous like marketplace. Like, yeah. Oh, oh my god, the, the previous <laughs> International Trade Center. Yes. That's <laughs> oh, terrible, but funny. So, uh, so Osama bin Laden is uh, at least promising Josh of this uh, refuge called Haven yep. that is. A place out of space, out of time, uh, where he will be safe from the time police. And, you know, we're at first we're we're not sure if it's real or not. And eventually they get transported to where they think is Haven. Rogan shows up and basically says, catches him. Right. And, and and inadvertently they kill Osama bin Laden with a straight bullet. And um uh, Seth Rogan essentially offers to our trio to Josh. Tiger and Wolf, that if they will help him track down Haven, because it's like a a rogue time, like, you know, fugitive zone, that he will essentially set everything back to normal, put them where they want to be, and essentially absolve them of all their crimes. And so they're like, okay, we'll do that. And he gives them these little cubes, little boxes, and they get teleported to or taken to Iowa, right? Like yes. 1999. Right. Uh, uh- Y2, Eva Y2K, and they're at Iowa State University. Exactly. I continue. Sorry. <laughs> Which, uh, this is actually something Tony and I talked about off the air. Aaron, did did you get the reference when they, they arrive there and they say, is this Haven? No, it's Iowa State University. 
Like was that a was that a reference? I didn't catch that as a reference. So that, that's Field of Dreams because it's uh, when the baseball player, the ghost baseball players come out and they're like, is this heaven? And Kevin Costner says, no, this is Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> that's good so again pop culture references I, i've never actually watched that movie yeah and and just the the choice of iowa state university i thought was very funny because it's like you know uh, you think you're going to end up in heaven but you end up in somewhere incredibly mundane you know where do you where is that mundane place going to be i think iowa state university is a great choice absolutely no and so they're they're looking for a door to haven Right. Right. And I don't remember how they get there. Somebody help me out here. So so what happens is they, they're looking around, they're seeing like some different things happening. They was it they see like some people dressed up like the Matrix and it's actually just a Matrix party that they crash. They <laughs> yeah. thought it was, was something to do with that. Um, but then they start noticing like all these cables running from like all the different dorm rooms to one central location. And it's running to this one like nerds, you know, dorm room. And he's like got all the cables hooked into his computer. And he's also just happens to be like cooking a sausage on a George Foreman grill. And in the moment that like Y2K happens, he like spills grease all over the military computer he had stolen from the military complex next door to like download all these movies onto the hard drive or something like that while a computer virus like triggered and it caused a time rip, which that's completely, you know, scientifically, you know, proven true. Just ask Neil deGrasse Tyson and, um, created Haven, which is this time outside of time or place outside of time, um, where he was stuck. And Josh, um, goes there with Tiger and Wolf. Goes goes through the time door with with him on this eve, and they kind of like end up in Haven in this place where where timelessness exists. And they find that there's all these famous people that had disappeared. You know, James Dean, Abraham Lincoln. El, you know, not Elvis. Elvis, I don't think was there, but uh, Buddy, Buddy Holly, Holly Marilyn yeah. Monroe. You know, it, it was it was a collection of people who either died young or died violently. Or disappeared, Amelia Earhart. Or disappeared, exactly. So they and they all just love Josh. We almost worship him like a messiah, like he's he's a savior. And and they find out that Josh, nutface Josh, had brought come and taken them from wherever they were in time and brought them to Haven so that they would be saved from their horrible fate. I, also, I think it also kind of raises the question if that, if not Josh was the cause of all that, of their disappearance. But um, I thought that was really funny. And, and the longer they're in Haven, kind of like their memory and their minds and everything kind of start to get wonky because, you know, human brains were, you know, evolved to actually work with time, not outside of it. Which I thought that was brilliant, the way they demonstrated that. I think they have right. no needs. Like, they have no need of sleep, no need of food. And so I guess they stop breathing. And when they stop breathing, I think that's when they start forgetting or something. Like, because, it, it's always twilight. Like, it's it's always the perfect time to take pictures. But um, also, things are off. Like, was it in, in this sequence, Tiger becomes very focused on her inner self and finding her inner peace, her inner balance. Um, Wolf kind of is, is flipped into a, a reverse situation 
Whereas everywhere he's gone up to this point, he was kind of the bee's knees. Everyone loved him. He fit into every situation. He was able to adapt. It seemed that in Haven, he really wasn't able to. And he was kind of forced into kind of like the weakling position where where he was weak and vulnerable and insignificant. And and Josh is then thrust into kind of like the more like leadership, desired role. Um, but Josh is kind of being taken advantage of, you know? <laughs> Um, even though he, he's, he's admired, it seems that everyone's kind of just like passing him around. Like, I think was it, what did Wolf call him the town bike? Yeah, that was a weird moment. I guess some things we learn at the beginning or beginning of the season or end of season two is that like, uh, because I just want to kind of recap it to summarize, but like. Their little uh, jump back in time, ten seconds fiasco created a massive tear in space time and like wiped out all of the other intelligent life in the universe. <laughs> like trillions of people is the reason that they're like in time prison, uh, and so they kind of have to wrestle with that. And then also we find out uh, before they go to Haven that that rip that initial like rip on Y2K or the creation of Haven is what allowed uh, time travel to be possible. So if they stop that, it'll, that's what will, will wipe out all of their time travel shenanigans and stuff like that too. So I just kind of want to mention that. For sure. No, it's a major plot point of season three, essentially that you find out that Haven is the cause of time travel, that the TTD and everything that's happened subsequent to that was only made possible through this tear in time. And that all the times that Josh went through uh, and brought people to Haven, he was actually making things worse, mm-hmm. causing what was it the 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 great the big sink, or the big suck, big suck where all the timelines right. are eventually going to converge and collapsing on each other, which sets up our 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 climax where our heroes have to save not just the world but all of time and space. Yep. Uh, so so essentially they have to. They have to close Haven. They have to close the door and prevent it from being opened in order to um, save everything, right? But but that, that kind of creates the conundrum is that if they do that, it stops all time travel, and they're stuck in, like, 1999. Mm-hmm. So Josh doesn't want to do that. He wants to go back to his own time, and he kind of negotiates a, a deal where he gets to go back and get his brain wiped and just be with his parents and forget any of this ever happened. But ultimately, he decides that that's not right, that he's got to see it through to the end. And they they proceed to uh, prevent big time from opening the door and stopping time travel from happening and preventing the massive amounts of deaths and all the things that happen, but stranding all of them, including Susan and his family, in uh, 1999. Now, not not to nitpick, but this this final sequence uh, at Iowa State with big time, uh, I think the execution of that sequence was a little poor in, in that this show had actually done a pretty good job up until this point of, of when they time traveled, especially to the past, of convincing me that they were in the past, you know, having the right set dressing around. But th- this this final sequence in 1999 a few things kind of killed it for me and the the first one that jumped out was the the logo on the sweatshirt that big time 
time wears. And I, I understand this is a huge nitpick, but the Iowa State logo on that, that sweatshirt didn't exist until 2008. And it just it, it bugged me. It bugged me that they that they that that kind of detail they would let go. And then the fact that he's wearing a, a hoodie to begin with, I also started to think about. And may, maybe I'm I'm maybe I'm off here, but I don't really remember people, you know, wearing that classic hooded sweatshirt in 1999. I'm sure it existed. I'm sure people did, but it didn't really seem to proliferate until you know at least five or so years later. You know, do you guys really remember people wearing? that that classic hooded sweatshirt without the zipper with the front pocket back in 1999 I don't I don't specifically remember that I've always had those so I guess I like when I when I was I remember when I was about 10 years old at that time I would wear the ones that had the zipper up the front those are very popular but the ones without the zipper I don't really remember getting those until like like high school uh, which is a little later on. Uh, but uh, something else that also took me out was that the way they portrayed the dorm, because, you know, they're they're going down the hallway of Big Time's dorm because they got to find what room he's in. And, like, go back and watch that sequence. It's it's so obvious that they're in, like, a fancy hotel uh, because the the doors are all nice. The room numbers are all these nice fonts. There's not a dorm in the world that looks like that. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't specifically know any of those things, so they didn't stand out to me. But I mean, fair enough. Now, on the other hand, the epilogue to the show belongs in the epilogue Hall of Fame here. Hall of Fame. I died. I I literally died. Had to be resurrected whenever that sequence took place. <laughs> um, amazing. You mean the just... credits, the credits roll yeah. scene. Yep, the fade out to based on it. True story. Yeah. <laughs> that was Just very incri- well done. <laughs> like the, you know, making fun of Hollywood, whitewashing all the roles, and then having the real <laughs> Josh Futterman showing Josh Hutcherson how to mop a floor. <laughs> it, oh, it, yeah. I, I, it was so good because that has been such a huge topic. And, and that's what I was saying. Like, I don't understand why this show didn't make more of a splash. Like there was tons of of pop culture references, tons of social commentary, tons of laughs. Like it was adult humor, but it was you know well done. It was time travel. It was sci-fi. I, I don't know. It was Swiss Army show, and and it just didn't didn't yeah, make it was, sense. It was great. I wish I would have watched it when it was new. I think maybe even with the pandemic, like maybe I even liked it more. Like maybe the times we live in. I mean, like it even more, but yeah, I'm surprised I never, it never came up on the Tony radar. Well, I, I wonder if maybe we're just in a, a kind of a, a temporal sweet spot of people who are going to like this show because there's a huge amount of super bad DNA in the show, owing to the fact that it's, uh, you know, created, executive produced, and a lot of times written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who are the guys behind Superbad. Uh, yeah, and like for for me, Superbad came out when I was eighteen years old, and a hundred percent did I understand like everything that was going on in that movie was just two and a half hours living inside the mind of an eighteen year old. It really resonated with me in in the moment. Yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll... you know the three of us are of all of similar ages, so I, I wonder if this just kind of like irreverent, like sexual, but like like not not. Like, 
gross sexual kind of, I don't know how to say it, but you know, just this brand of humor, I think might it's, speak to us in a way that it doesn't speak more broadly. It's, it's got a certain crass humor that yes. I think that the generation that grew up in the South Park era has more of appreciation for that level of crass humor, whereas a lot of people probably in the prior generation just see it as filth, you know? Like, my, my mom or my grandmother might just say, well, it's just vulgar, you know? And I think that's what's funny about it, so. I am glad. I think it wouldn't have worked any other way. Like, I'm glad they they leaned into it. Like, if this was a movie, it'd be rated R, and I don't think it could have worked as any other lower rating. Agree. Like, I'm glad there was full cursing. I don't appreciate dicks in my face, but I'm glad they didn't, they didn't hold back on gore or language or I guess they kind of held back on sexual content, but uh, like, I don't think it would have worked if they had toned any of those elements down. It wasn't like, you know, Game of Thrones, like softcore porn. It was, you know, a quick joke. It was pretty tasteful. Yeah. Like every time they had to charge up, it's just like, you don't see anything. You just see them kind of humping most of their clothes on. Like <laughs> it's like they desexualized the sex. Yeah. And they were all gross, like uh, rat hole to rat hole, like kissing, like pretty much any form of intimacy in this future world that these characters lived in was just like, uh, well, I guess not in uh, the nag, but the original OG timeline. I will say like, you know, I was, we were talking about the time travel in the show earlier and like, I kind of mentioned when I was talking, I was like, yeah, like it makes fun of itself. And I think that's what gets it out of trouble. But you know, as far as like uh, finding ways they could have done it better, I don't mind that so much because I feel like in the time travel, the way they handle it, they are consistent. Like they had a set, uh, set of rules that they like held by. Like it's not it's not our fault the characters didn't use it wisely, but like they defined it. Like every time they jump back in time and jump out, it creates a new timeline. That's why they can't really change anything. Like all these other timelines are doing it they kind of had a reason for time travel existing and a way to like end it to end the show i really appreciated all that stuff like the technical aspects like whether or not they use the time travel to the best of their abilities is separate from that i appreciate that part of it like i <laughs> i loved it when tiger's in her little uh matrix headspace and she imagines her old friend elias's mom and she's having a conversation to like soothe herself. And then her mom's like, well, <laughs> you probably could have just gone back and killed me. And she's like, oh, that's going to bug me. <laughs> Cracked me up. So I like that they made fun of themselves, but I liked that they were consistent in that. Ugh. Yeah, 100% agree, because no nothing pisses me off more than when a show breaks its own bright line rule. And that that's something that that turned me off of doctor who eventually I, I did go through a, a brief doctor who phase but it, it just pissed me off because one too many times they just completely broke a rule that was firmly established a few episodes or a couple seasons before uh, but this show either they they were internally consistent or the tone was just silly enough that i didn't care didn't the care if it was was like super inconsistent was whenever wolf left them and took his family off to the other timeline and then also like jumped forward to see Lugnut, you know, walk down the aisle and then jump back to where they were. Like, shouldn't that have created multiple branches 
so that he wouldn't have been able to get back to them. Like that was the only one that whenever I was watching through this time, I was like, how'd you get back here? Well, their new TTD, the pocket watch is way more capable than the uh, first two season time. This was still with the old TTD. This was before the time cop showed up. This was before the eight second run. Well, was he always jumping forward? No, he 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 grabbed them, jumped back, and put them with O.J. Simpson. Remember, great guy. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that that like that whole story of uh, of Wolf living in the eighties to nineties was just such fertile ground for all those pop culture references about sure. you know like you know dumping off coke to hookers at the ER with Charlie Sheen. <laughs> He's like that guy had it all together. <laughs> Have y'all seen Loki on Disney Plus? I have not. No, man, it is like uh, you watch it after season three of this show, and you're gonna be like, "Wow, did uh, Loki watch this show?" Because that's like the whole premise is uh, there is a time travel authority, like finding variants, and it reminded me reminded me a lot of when they're like they're jumping around time trying to hide, but the little things give them away. That's kind of what is a large premise of that Loki show, which is a really good show. I'd recommend that too, but uh, maybe if you really enjoy the Marvel movies and shows, maybe don't watch Loki would be my advice. But I was just going <laughs> to mention that. Like, it's very, like, that whole premise is like almost a, a very, very eerily similar to Loki, which just came out was it earlier this year, I think. So I wonder if they lifted that too. Like, it could, yeah, this show's just really ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. I really liked it. One thing I wrote down that I wanted to say just before I forgot is like you mentioned the Law and Order stuff. It's like I can't believe it was, is it Iggy Azalea or Cardi B that they replaced with the little Law and Order doom doom, but they replaced it boom boom boom. Like I think it's an Iggy Azalea song that cracked me up every time they did a scene change on that episode. I did not know that. I didn't even catch that. That's funny. you did it. Oh no, it was cracking me up. I'll try to find the song and send it to the group. But yeah, rant over. Sorry, I'm done talking. I, I just that those were the parts of season two that got me that, that I enjoyed the most were those those little cultural references that that were clearly just meta for us right because they they were just like overlays and music but it it was so especially for someone who grew up, grew up watching like those kind of shows like on was it Nick at Night or on yeah, on TBS yeah. or whatever if you were homesick during the day like, it's just it's just funny. Um, because I, I didn't ever actually watch Law and Order, but I know enough about it from seeing it on TV. They also thanked Dick Wolf for it, so they got permission, too. <laughs> I remember that at the end of the episode. It's true. Oh, man. Well, shall we uh, Shall we rate the show? Yeah, I think it's time to rate. Well, uh, Aaron, this was, this was your baby, uh, so I'm going to let you take the lead here. Well, okay, I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to ask you guys. So I, I'd said, that, and I think the, I know the answer, that this was a show that flew under the radar, um, was, was not really hyped up, but really landed the ending. I love the ending. when, and, and I feel like Josh's ending where he you know, um, gets to see his parents, not, not exactly the way he wanted, but he does get to see his parents. It's not a, a pretty pink bow ending, which I also liked. Like, it was a good ending. Um, them saving the day, but not everything was tied up perfectly. I thought that was great. Um, Tiger kind of finding her herself um, in eternity in in Haven and um, it, it kind of evolving as a character and and 
understanding a little bit more about herself, I thought was great. And then a uh, wolf kind of going from being like this strong, powerful character who's adaptable to then very, very weak and realizing that the weak need protection and his school for nerds or, you know, whatever it was at the end. Uh, I, I thought it was great. My nerds. <laughs> nerds. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm going to give this show, this is going to be my highest probably that I've ever given. I'm going to give it a nine five overall. Because I, I I love this show. It was funny. It was fun. It was entertaining. It was interesting. It was everything that I could want out of a show. It, it doesn't get a perfect ten because there are some trudgy point points that I just was like, okay, come on, let's let's get going. But this hits all the stuff. Like like Jay said, this this felt almost tailor made for for me <laughs> on some levels. So. Um, I passed I passed the mic to to the side. It was a nine nine point five time traveling Bin Ladens out of ten. <laughs> nine point five time traveling Bin Ladens from Aaron. Now, did you want to give a a, a pre recording score, or do you want to stick with the nine point five? I think for me it kind of stinks because I I've already seen this show multiple times before we even started, so I can't really have one. But I would like to hear just kind of like if you guys how would y'all feel about the ending. Like, did it land it? It was just a meh. Uh, Really, what did y'all think? I think... Uh, Tony, I'll let you go. It was going to be hard to end it. I think it was a... Like, the very, very end, I think it was satisfying enough. I wasn't, like, super amazed with the very, very ending. I liked the the show as a whole. And like y'all mentioned, the little credits roll (laughs) based on a true story stuff. That was, like, a peak ending. Uh, as far as where they ended up, I did I did enjoy it, but it wasn't mind blowing as far as the very very end. But they wrapped it up nicely, and everyone was in their proper places, which is more than I could say for the majority of shows on how they wrap things up. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I I liked that. You know, everybody got their ending, but not necessarily the ending that they thought they were going to get or the one they wanted. Uh, uh, you know, like like you said about uh, Josh being able to go home, but it's not really the home he expected. Um, I I thought that they, you know, I I would agree they landed it. I think I, I think they really did. Um, and to to give my score here, this was a show that I I enjoyed tremendously. Uh, there were there were some times where it lagged, and I found myself a little too attracted to my phone and. Uh, I got to be honest, I missed a few plot points here, which uh, thankfully Aaron was able to fill me in on. Uh, for example, I I'm, I just I missed when they revealed that Tiger was a biotech and just kind of had to pick that up from from context clues later on. But anyway, uh, great show. I would say uh, in previous episodes on other shows, I've kind of given a, a, a two step litmus test of a show of is it a good show and would I recommend it to people? And for this show, both of them, 100%, yes. Great show. I would 100% recommend it to, to most people. You know, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't tell my mom to watch it. Uh, but enjoyed it a lot. And this show is a 9 out of 10. Solid, solid 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10 what, though? Time traveling Bin Ladens. Thank you very there much. There it is. There it is. I guess it's my turn. Um. I'll give my pre my pre I was like a eight and a half, I think, just because like I really felt those I think you call them trudgy moments like 
some of those moments hit hard, but like the highs are so high, like maybe higher than a show that I've watched in a long time. And I think it is, I'm just the target demographic kind of y'all alluded to. It's just like sci-fi comedy, crazy pop culture references, uh, great cast, great performances. So I think just for me, it was a great show. So I'm going to raise it up to a, a nine. Uh, and if you're like me, uh, or us, apparently, I think you'll love the show like we did. And definitely, I think, yeah, give it all three seasons. I think there's only 13 season one, 13 season two, and then eight for the final season. Uh, so not a horrible time commitment. They're 30 minute episodes, but yeah, I love the show. It, it really to the highs, Aaron. It lived up to that good. It makes me feel good. All right. So we've got a 9.5 from Aaron. Aaron and the nines from both me and Tony giving us a average score of 9.166 repeating, which, uh, gentlemen, we have a new show atop the leaderboard. Excellent. Excellent. Edging out Righteous Gemstones by uh, just about uh, 0.1 of a point. I'd say that's fair. I'd say I'd say this is a great show and, and deserves all the praise heaped onto it. I, I think that it definitely is on the caliber of Righteous Gemstones. Like this, this is what I, I keep saying is that like this is an HBO quality show. This was premium television that nobody watched. Now, I, I will say if Righteous Gemstones makes two two more seasons and each of those seasons reinvents itself and continues to be good at the same level, similar to the way that future man would, I think I, I would put future. I would say I would expect that body of work to rise above future man here. No disrespect to future man, but I, th- I think that's, that that's just maybe how highly I think of righteous gemstones. No, completely agree. I think that, that that's one thing that future man also benefits from. It's a complete story that's told and done. Yeah. So, you know, hearing you All say right. that, it's like this show is ambitious. Like it goes for it. Mm-hmm. And there's some high concept stuff that really could have derailed it. Like I said, I think it kind of derailed it at the beginning of season two. But like you said, there's so much character development. I think those first two or three episodes were necessary to kind of build the new world that we were. We're basically in a whole new world from season one. So, but so, yeah, I appreciate the ambitiousness of it's almost. It's continuous, but it's almost even an anthology. Almost uh, mm-hmm. the plots are so different, and the characters are the same. There's a common thread, but uh, it really is like three different stories. Well, shall we consult the Wheel of Randomonium and find out what we're watching next time? Absolutely. Let's see if I can get this to share screen. So for. Uh... When when I was thinking about what show I'd like to nominate uh, for this next time around, I very much had in mind uh, the way that Aaron had described Future Man. He said this is a show that I think is is underrated, underwatched. It's completed its full run and it nails the ending. And uh, to satisfy those criteria, I I really thought of this show called People Just Do Nothing. Uh, It's a mockumentary on Netflix and it is fantastic. So I'm, I'm rooting for that one. Tony, what you got for this week or this month? My nomination is The Witcher on Netflix. I have seen it, but uh, season two should be coming out soon. I want to re- give it a rewatch. Uh, 
if you don't know, it's based on a popular book series. It's more of like a dark fantasy. There's monsters, uh, magic, kind of like, uh, I'm not going to say Lord of the Rings, but. The show uh, came out after the game too, correct? Yeah, there's books. There's a widely, hugely successful game series by CD Projekt Red, uh, Witcher 1, 2, and 3. And this uh, is basically the newest entry in that body of work. Do you know if the story of the game and the show are are both like reflective? Like if someone watched the show, have they played the first game or is it kind of de- detached? Like Doom, the I, movie is detached yeah, from Doom, the game. Uh, I haven't oh. played any of the games. Uh, okay. I'm always so curious about that. Means there's such a, a, I don't know, stigma is the right term, but you know, a, a history of Hollywood and, not landing video game movies very well <laughs> so i'm very curious about this uh my offering for this this wheel of randomonium is season two of the miracle workers um it's a show that that jay had recommended to me multiple times and christy had brought it up to me and i i'm, I'm very curious about it uh and based off of jay's consult we're doing season two he said i guess this is also kind of like an anthology you don't really have to see season one to see season two. So we're going to jump right into that. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about it, so I'm excited to be uh, surprised. All right. Well, is the wheel ready? Here we go. Shuffle. All right. For those of you listening on your podcatcher, we are spinning, 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 spin, 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 spin. And it is Miracle Workers. Congratulations. Hey. Your reward is you don't get to pick next time. (laughs) I have been officially absolved of picking from the next round. So Ah. one of you two next time, no matter what. I like those odds. (laughs) All right. So season two of the Miracle Worker on HBO Max. This is uh, interesting. I'm excited to see what it has in store for us. Maybe it'll uh, intrigue us into watching additional seasons. Is there season three or is it coming out? Uh, season three is out and has finished. It's it's not available on HBO Max yet, uh, but if you want to watch it, I can uh, you know I can I can hook you up. <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right, well you've been listening to the show. Show I am Corey J Hart. You can find me online at J Suesponte. Uh, my co-host over here, Corey Aaron Hart. You can find him at Tenacious Aaron. Corey, Tony Hart across the way, you can find him. Uh, where can find you, Tony? At T. Penquite. At T. Penquite. Find us uh, out there on the internet at the Show Show Pod. You can email us at the Show Show TV Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, find our YouTube channel if you're not watching it right now. It's Mandamus Radio. You can also find uh, other content out there Uh, tell a friend tell a neighbor tell everybody you know about the show because we love making it and uh, we make it for both us and all of you so i'm very excited uh, for miracle workers next time Uh, gentlemen it's been a lot of fun salutations internet au revoir